0: The reason I asked him not to call me reverend is that I just really feel like there's nobody that really fits that category except Jesus, and I'm just a bond slave. And I didn't hear anybody calling John the Baptist reverend, and there was none growing greater born of women than John the Baptist at that particular time because he was that last great Old Testament prophet that had the great privilege of pointing out Jesus and saying, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What a privilege. And he says, I'm not worthy to even stoop down as the lowest slave and untie the sandal strap on his feet. And none of us are either but what a great savior that bids us to come and to come because he wants us to be in his presence. He wants us to hear him when he speaks and we hear him through his word and what a gracious God we have who gives us these scriptures which are able to make us wise under salvation and able to cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And so that's our prayer that the Holy Spirit would do that work of grace in us tonight and that he would exalt Jesus and that he would cause us to be more in love with Jesus and that we would have a deeper appreciation for what he has done for us in saving our rotten souls by his precious holy blood and causing us to be born again into the very kingdom of the living God. With that, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and we are looking at in James as we continue in this wonderful book, which is considered to be a wisdom book, but it's also full of just great theology. And so we come here to verses 16 through 18 tonight, and I am going to go back and do a little bit more from what Dean did last week, which he did a... A wonderful job in explaining to us about the deceitfulness of sin and about temptation and the web that it it weaves and will draw us in so deceptively. And it's just like a vortex that once you make that first step that it just continues to suck you down lower and lower and lower and lower to cause you to, to sin against this holy God that we desire to serve and to please. But it's because of our sinful hearts that we are drawn away and tempted. It's like we have now as Christians, we have two natures. We have a fleshly nature and we have a spiritual nature. And there's a conflict between those two natures in us. Before we were saved, there was no conflict. It was just a fleshly nature. You didn't have any problem doing what the devil wanted you to do. He was your Father. That's what Jesus said. You're of your father, the devil. My goodness, that's what we were. And now Jesus has made it possible, not just possible, he's made it absolutely certain that we can now call his father our father. My, what an amazing transformation and change God has worked. So now we do have those two natures, though, but now there's this war going on between them and the one that's gonna come out on top each time and each time we face these temptations and trials and all of this, the, the, the spirit of the flesh or the spirit of the Holy Spirit, the one that you spend the most time with and the one that you feed the most, you feed on God's word and you feed in the, the Holy Spirit is feeding your soul and you're growing and you're becoming more like Christ. Otherwise, you're feeding the flesh and you're becoming more and more sinful day by day and your soul is becoming more and more hardened and it's becoming more and more easy for you to say no to the things of God and to say yes to the things of the world. And so James, in his wisdom inspired by the Holy Spirit, is using this this, this first chapter, especially here, he's using the whole book, but he's using these things to cause us to recognize that when temptation comes, that we need to be aware of what's going on and we need to slow it down and not let it get a hold of us in a hurry and drag us down into that vortex of, of sin, which leads to death. Caleb, our senior pastor, gave all of us on staff, even those of us who were, who were just part-time at last Christmas, He gave us a devotion book by David Paulison called Take Heart, Daily Devotions to Deepen Your Faith. And that's one of the books that I've been reading each day in a devotion. And on September the 13th, this was the devotion, and I thought it was appropriate to give us a good overview of where we've come from and where we're going tonight. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is a very savvy pastor. He knows how people work. Throughout the entire book and the whole way he talks about how life works we are given these orienting perspectives and then are shown how it works. And then by implication, we are invited to press into that general truth. We're invited to press our specifics that do map on to the general category. How on earth can I count it all joy when I meet various trials unless there is a big circle around my entire life unless there's a God who is actually purposefully working my good, my joy, my endurance of faith, my steadfastness, and my wisdom rather than folly. This passage contains a call that we would grow up into wisdom. We grow up into this wonderful grace that gets called endurance or steadfastness, which isn't just gird your loins and grit your teeth, it's not stoicism. It is a purposeful going forward in the midst of everything that we face in a broken, dying, hard, financially stressful, health stressful world. There is a purpose. There is something that is being done behind the scenes and the reason that James can say count it all joy is because there's that larger purposefulness in the hand of God. We are going to find when the heat hits us, we struggle and we show our foolishness. And there is this overwhelming sense through the book of James that we serve a God who gives, a God who is generous, God the giver who helps us and meets us in our need. So with that, let us pay attention to the reading of God's word found in James chapter one, verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Father, this is your word. It's your word that is eternal. It's your word that is like that sharp sword that digs down deep into our soul to divide marrow and all of the fatness and divide everything that's there that we cannot see but that you see and that you know how to take that scalpel of the word and to use it to, to cause it to be able to do its healing work in each one of us who desire to lay bare our souls before you and to say here I am Lord do with me what you please I am your servant have your way with me Lord, may that be the case with each of us this night and every day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. James is developing in us an awareness of how subtle temptation assails us. We might call James 1:14 through 15, the temptation cycle. Now, I'm using this from Sinclair Ferguson. So... He says that it starts out with deception that Satan has in view in all temptation, our deception. He is, after all, the deceiver. He's the one who desires to lead us astray. He's the one who's been doing that since the Garden of Eden and he is continuing to do that. And as he deceives us, which is the first step that we should recognize when we are being deceived, you remember David, when he was supposed to be with his army and he was supposed to be out in the battle and he was supposed to be fighting, that was at the time when kings went to war. And instead he was there on his rooftop and he was there looking and he was looking at things that he did not have any business letting his eyes linger on. He was link- let his eyes linger on a bathing woman that was the wife of Uriah the Hittite and he lusted after her. That was the deception right there. That's where it started. And then that, that deception turned into attraction. And he was attracted to her. And that's the way sin does. As it goes on working more and more to attract us, to draw us into this web so that we are caught. There's a verse in, in uh, Psalm 25, verse 15 that, that is so good. It says, I will keep my eyes Fixed on the Lord because he will, he will keep my feet from falling into the trap Or something to that effect He will cause us from falling into the net We won't be trapped like a bird into the net and the web of deceit He'll keep us and help us And then we have this next step he's, Ferguson says is preoccupation Which is temptation to sin is now no longer external to us But it has successfully invaded us What fills our vision now is the thought of the object of our desire and how to make it ours. That's a woman that was made in God's image. She was made for another man. They were married. David had plenty of women and God says, if you had just asked, I would have given you more. Now, we don't do that today, okay? God says, we have one wife and that is enough. And we're thankful that he has made it clear that it never was his plan for us to be polygamists, but instead that we're supposed to be like him, that the man is supposed to be the head of the family and the wife is supposed to be like his bride. And it represents Christ and his bride, the church, and that's how a good marriage is formed. And so uh, we want to remember those things. When you young people, when you're seeking a, a spouse to remember what you're looking for in a spouse, you're looking for someone who's going to be in love with Jesus, first of all, because if that person loves Jesus, he'll love he or she will love you. And he is the one who is going to make things to operate in a way that will bring glory to His name and keep you together in the long haul. Just did a funeral for General Joe and Bowden Husband of Miss Murray about 98 years old, and they've been married 77 years. Imagine that! What a testimony to a world today, where every man is doing what's right in his own eyes. They want something, they don't pay any attention to it. That is a person that was created in God's image. That that person is set apart for God's holy use. That that person is a is supposed to be their body is a temple of the Lord and yet we look upon it with lust and we go after it and then that falls into that vortex and it always has results and we never think about the results that sin has that's going to drag us down and it's going to have ramifications not only in our lives but in the lives of hundreds and maybe thousands of others it just depends on What the sin is How exposed it is And how high a level it is up But it's going to do great damage And great damage to you personally But most of all It's great damage to the glory of Christ And that's the first thing That we need to take into consideration John Bunyan said it In this manner Sin rather than twill out of action be Will pray to stay though but a while with thee One night, one hour, one moment will it cry. Embrace me in thy bosom, else I die. Time to repent, saith it, I will allow. And help, if to repent, thou knowest not how. But if you give it entrance at the door, it will come in and may go out no more. And then the next is subjection. That one thing leads to another, and when sin is full-blown, then it brings forth death. Dr. Eric Alexander said that it's like where it says desire. Desire is the mother, and sin is the child, and death is the grandchild. It starts out with that desire of that mother, and then that child being born out of that womb is The sin and then the death is pictured as a grandchild, which is often forgotten that death comes in a thousand forms and that the wages of sin is death and we need to think correctly about it and its consequences. But it goes on here to tell us in these verses that we just read here that now God has done something to replace this sinful birth, which gives birth to death in our fleshly nature with the new birth which is God's gift to us to give us this new birth in the power of the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us so that we'll become acting like God as his children and walking in his ways and desiring to please him even more than pleasing ourselves. That's what we desire to do with all our hearts. We don't do it near like we ought to. And I'll tell you, your pastors don't either. Because we have sinful hearts just like you do. Saved by grace. More and more desiring to put it to death in the flesh. Mortifying it. Killing it. Doing whatever we need to do to cut it off. Just like plugging out your right eye. Cutting off your right hand. Anything that would cause you to sin. That would cause you to even look at a woman with lust to turn your eyes, to turn the TV off, to do whatever it takes, just such one example. But all of these things that are going on in our society today that is absolute perversion, it is hideous, it is perversion, and it is a disgrace, and it is dishonoring to God, and it is dishonoring to anybody that is made in the likeness of God who is a human being. And we should be on our knees and asking God to have mercy on us and to cause us to repent and to cause this nation to, to have a great awakening of the Holy Spirit that he might sweep through and bring many into the kingdom of God because I see that as our only hope. And we need to be praying for that. But conflict is the believer's life between the flesh and the spirit, says Eric Alexander. And then, we're supposed to be to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, he's saying do not be deceived in verse 16, my beloved brothers. Now I think that is a connection verse between what's gone before and what's coming now. That he's connecting those things. We're not to be deceived through temptation and we're not to be deceived because God has given us a wonderful way for us to escape being led into temptation because he has given us himself. Every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God is a good God. He's a God who is... A God who is the same, he's transcendent, he's, he never changes. He's a God and I think we're saying here that it's coming down from the father of lights that is talking about the, the stars and the moon and the sun and all of these things because it's picturing God as being one who is always in light and never in the darkness, as separating light from darkness and God is the one who is doing that and there's no variable in him, there's no variation in him. He's always gonna be the same, pure and absolutely holy, one that you can depend on, that you can always trust in, that he's always gonna be good, that he's always gonna be the judge of all the earth who does what's right and you can depend upon him. So. That's what we're looking at uh, here in this particular part right here, that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from our Father of lights. I mean, just the air that we breathe is a gift. Just think about your wife. What a gift. A good and godly wife is such a great gift. Having a child, having a grandchild, Who's doing that for you? God in his grace and mercy is causing you to receive these great blessings. He's the blesser and we receive these gifts so that we might turn our eyes to the one who is the blesser and the giver of all these good gifts recognizing that he never does anything that is out of character. He's always going to do good and he's always going to do what's right and you can always depend on him and trust in him. There is no shadow, no dark side in God. And why is this important? Ferguson says, because this knowledge of God guards us against the subtle nature of Satan's deceptive wiles. They are as old as the Garden of Eden and perhaps older still if we consider his leadership of an angelic rebellion against God in the heavens that we read about in Isaiah chapter 14. His scarcely disguised innuendo to Eve in the garden was, has he set you in this wonderful world full of attractive, delicious fruit trees and told you you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That innuendo is present in every temptation. It's saying that God is really not good. That he's withholding something better for himself that he's not letting you have. Tells us in God's word that all things work together for good for those whom Jesus has, those whom he has called according to his purpose. Those who are in Christ Jesus. Everything, no matter what it is. Things that you think are just the most horrible things that could ever happen. It may be the death of a child. It may be the death of a parent. It may be the loss of a limb. It may be cancer. It may be financial disaster, whatever it is. God is the one, if he's your God and he has sent these things, he has sent it for your good. We are to recognize that and to say, Lord, I don't understand it but I trust you, I believe in you, I know that you're not going to do anything that is not in my best interest to cause me to be made more like Jesus Christ and have a deeper and abiding faith and trust in Jesus no matter what happens. When I come out of this, I'm gonna be made more like Jesus than I was before this happened to me. That's how good God is and you can trust him and that's what we're supposed to do. I don't know if, I don't know. God put enmity between between that old serpent and man. And I tell you, somebody likes snakes. There's just something wrong with them. You know, I tell you, them things are hideous. They give me the heebie-jeebies. You know. And, um, but anyway, there was way back. I mean, he crawls on his belly. He's camouflaged. He hides. some of any of them have venom and poison, and they're there to kill you. That's what Satan does, he camouflages himself, even as disguised as an angel of light and desires to to deceive even the elect, it says, when the one who is the antichrist is gonna come. That if it wasn't for God's power and grace holding on to us that we too would be deceived and led astray by the miracles and the things that the antichrist is going to do. But Jesus is far greater than any antichrist. He is the Christ, he is the Lord of lords, he is the king of kings. He is the God of heaven and earth and the maker of heaven and earth. But there was a song that was written way back in, I think, about 1969, and Al Wilson sang it. I don't, need, I don't even remember Al Wilson. But uh, anyway, it said On her way to work one morning, down the path alongside the lake, a tender hearted woman saw a poor half frozen snake. His pretty colored skin had been all frosted with the dew. Oh well, she cried, I'll take you in and I'll take care of you. Take me in, oh tender woman. Take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, tender woman. Sighed the snake. Now she wrapped him up all cozy in a coverture of silk and laid him by the fireside with some honey and some milk. Now she hurried home from work that night. Now she clutched him to her bosom. You're so beautiful, she cried. But if I hadn't brought you in by now, you might have died. Now she stroked his pretty skin again and then kissed and held him tight. But instead of of saying thanks, that snake gave her a vicious bite. Take me in, oh tender woman, take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, tender woman, sighed the snake. I saved you, cried that woman, and you've bitten me even. Why? And you know your bite is poisonous, and now I'm gonna die. Oh, shut up, silly woman, said that reptile with a grin. Now you knew darn well I was a snake before you brought me in. We need to keep Satan at bay. Don't let him get a hold on you in any way, shape, or form through any of his subtle devices. And God has made preparations for us to be guarded through all of these instructions that he's given us. But most of all, by giving us a great love and desire to be with him. And we've experienced this transforming power of the new birth and been given the Holy Spirit. So that now we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And he will encourage us to receive the word of God like a seed falling into good soil, says Sinclair Ferguson, the fruit of that, those who have been born again into God's family are like the specially consecrated first fruits of the harvest pointing forwards to the final harvest God will usher in at the recreation of all things. We have everything to gain by resisting temptation. We have everything to lose by yielding to it and nothing to gain eternally by doing so. We therefore only need to learn to slow temptation down and examine it frame by frame so that we can ask, what is really happening here? We need to make sure that we do this in the light of eternity. What is this going to cost? In Exodus chapter 23 verse 16 it says, you shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. Exodus twenty-three, nineteen: the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Give your finest to God. Let us present ourselves as a living sacrifice to our God, as an offering to Jesus, to his holiness, all for him, none for me. First fruits of harvest to God looks forward to the rest of the harvest being plentiful as God blesses your faithfulness God loves a cheerful giver because he is a cheerful giver Do you love to give? It's an evidence of how much you love God. It's not something that's a burden, it's something that's a joy. Do you love seeing souls saved? Do you care about missions? Do you care about if you're not able to go? Do you care enough to pray? And do you care enough to give? To support a missionary? To support the mission of the church, but also to support a missionary personally. Help that man or a couple to be able to stay on the field, to be in the line of fire out there where there's not many people that are presenting the gospel and the word of God so that those people too might hear the truth and they might be saved. I'll close by reading this that I wrote down a long time ago. Let all things now living a song of thanksgiving to God the creator triumphantly raise, who fashioned and made us, protected and stayed us, who still guides us on to the end of our days. God's banners are o'er us, his light goes before us, a pillar of fire shining forth in the night, till shadows have vanished and darkness is banished, as forward we travel from light into light. God is light, he is truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He that comes to me will have life and have it abundantly and he will be mine and I will never cast him out. And you will know that you have received the greatest of all gifts, the indescribable gift of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What greater gift could God give us than his wonderful, beloved, only begotten Son to come and through his passive and active obedience purchase our salvation for us to give us what we didn't deserve. We deserve God's hell and wrath and condemnation and through Christ Jesus, he has made us joint heirs with Christ and to be children of the living God, and to be able to be adopted into his family, and to be able to call him father. What a privilege. No longer do we serve that old father, the devil, but we serve a holy father, our heavenly father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may God help us to be firmly committed to doing that as we seek him day by day. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for being a God who loves us and cares for us and has shown it in such an incredible way. And then you show it in so many other ways day by day. Lord, you provide food for us, you provide shelter. We thank you so much that on Thursday night, even though we were gonna have a funeral on Friday, you brought us showers of blessing. And then before the funeral started, you caused the sun to shine so that that family would not be in such a mournful state, but instead would be even more joyful as they saw that beautiful light of the sun coming out from behind the clouds and shining out and showing forth your glory as this loved one was being remembered for the work that you had done in his life to carry him into your glorious presence just as you have promised so that now he's seeing Jesus face to face. Lord, we know that's what we have in store as well. And we look forward to that day when you take us home or when you come to get us. Thank you so much for being a God of such love, a God who is such a good God, a God who is such a giver. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.